Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. Does picking an outfit have you running a little too fashionably late? We get it. Great taste takes time. That's why Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery, has your back with the largest selection of beer, wine, and spirits delivered in under 60 minutes. Convenience never goes out of style. So if you need to spend some extra time in the mirror instead of at the store, download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Hi, this is Belinda Carlisle, and you're listening to Pantheon Podcast. Is there a library, a bookstore around here where I get books on rock and roll? Rock and roll. Story's true. Well, have you read this one? This is this is a story that needs to be told. Please, rock and roll, want something to read. Shh. Quiet, please. Welcome to another edition of the Rock and Roll Librarian Quarantine Edition Part 2. Yes, still quarantine. Shelly Sorensen, <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome. You are the Rock and Roll Librarian. Why do I always introduce the show? I don't know, because you're more assertive than I am, I suppose. Or because you're the used to doing podcasts. Yeah, I am I am the voice of Pantheon Networks, uh, along with uh, my shows, Rock and Roll Archaeology and Deeper Digs. Uh, and um, so maybe that's why, I guess. I think we just started this way. Yeah. It's just we've. We, nobody's ever questioned no, it. No, so. why would they? We've got a, you know, no, we've got a little bit no. of a... They question, they question other things, yeah. you know. They question my existence on this show, but... Uh, <laughs> I need a foil, people. I need a foil. <laughs> yes, I am doing the God's work, so leave me alone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> God, God damn it. <laughs> Christian. Oh, golly. <laughs> wow, that's three biblical references all in a row good i don't know that i, I don't God know that many i don't know that many yeah. biblical references so somebody has to oh yes it. you do nah. yes you do yeah i think we're in the third plague uh by the way fourth plague <laughs> okay fourth plague. Well, feels like it yeah yeah yep 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 uh fire soon to come uh yeah. here in california yeah so. got thunder anyway, thunder and lightning I, in august on the coast very it's very crazy. frightening yeah yeah yep yeah, yep yeah. uh, scared the hell out of my dogs mm-hmm. uh last night so i know most of the people around the country are like going what are you people talking about this happens all the time it's, around it's here it's not usual uh it's california oh, yes folks we live in a w- strange perfect world <laughs> eden well whatever we don't see thunder and lightning and rainstorms very in august often. no not in august no, not very it's not often. our thing not very yeah. often no no uh <clears throat> all right so first of all how are you doing because we have not seen each other in such a long time right uh, i mean i see you now because you're on my zoom camera mm-hmm. uh and you see me <clears throat> but um uh, and i'll let the uh the folks know that uh yeah i thought you were coming over to the house today <laughs> to record yeah. uh, until about three o'clock yeah. and was yeah. like oh that's right it's zoom oh okay yeah. oh my gosh so how are you doing how has the uh pandemic summer been for you well it's been um quite complicated by the fact that my father is in hospice home care so i've been spending a lot of time with my parents helping out and haven't not had, COVID related. No, no, no. He's 91 and has congestive heart failure. So he's going into the mm-hmm. final phase of his life. And while it's quite hard work, it's, uh, it's a blessing to be able to be with him. And, you know, yeah. 
um, help my mother and work with other relatives to provide them, you know, support. So I've been spending, mom? uh, my mom's 88 and in a wheelchair. So she needs, re- you know, she oh. needs support. So, you know, I've been kind of the master scheduler and the trying to hire home health care. It's, you know, as many people have been through this before, I'm not the only one. So, but it does mean I'm away from all my favorite things for a few days a week, um, which mm-hmm. is why I've had a little trouble getting back on the podcast, but I'm here now and glad to be a rock and roll librarian once again, and not a home health worker. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah. this is far more fun, I'm sure. Well, I'm sitting Uh, on my ass right now. You know, when you're helping out in somebody's home like that, it's it's hard physical work for a middle-aged woman like me, or probably I'm older than middle-aged because, uh, but you know, we keep pushing the age up of middle age as the baby uh, middle age, yes. as the baby boomers get older. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, they try to they yeah they try to change. What is it? The you know fifty is the new thirty, and yeah, sixty is the new forty, yeah, and so I'm forty. Eighty is the new forty-three. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, but so but yes, we have not had you on uh, since May. You never know when it's going to happen, and it just happens. And so here I am. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So what do we have on tap today? And I say that because you're already drinking a beer. I am. And I had a little, uh, what you call it, Glenlivet whiskey, too. So, all right. Oh, this is going to be a fun one. Yeah. Because, you know, everybody's drunk in this book. So might as well follow well, it think, along. I think everybody's drunk through the camp, uh, the, this, this, this COVID. COVID. I know. Saying it's, it's, you know, I read the reports, alcohol sales. So if you're in the beverage industry, apparently life is good. You're doing well. Okay. So what we have today is a book called All I Ever Wanted, a rock and roll memoir by Kathy Valentine, who has been off and on the bass player for the Go-Go's um, since just- Mostly on. Yeah. Since just after their inception. And the book was published by University of Texas Press this year. Um, and poor Kathy's book was released just as COVID hit and she had been planning all her book release parties and her interviews mm-hmm. and all that. And mm-hmm. she had to move them all over to, um, you know, to zoom and, and online, online. Yeah, yeah. but you know, I think it worked out pretty well, um, for her. And I think the book is doing well in sales. I hope it's very, well, very well written book. Yeah, I think the Go Go's are having a moment mm-hmm. uh, again. Uh, you know, they have a new documentary out, uh, and that is getting rave reviews. Yes, uh, and I think um, you know it's funny. It's I, I think I think it's pretty obvious that they were you know on a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction uh, march here mm-hmm. uh, uh, campaign, yeah. if you will. Uh, and uh, I, I you know I hope the 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 events of this crazy year uh, don't affect that um they uh certainly deserve to be in the rock and roll hall of fame the first all-female band uh to have a number one record mm-hmm. uh and it's never been uh, achieved uh, again which we should all ask ourselves <laughs> the question of why that right. is uh <clears throat> but um uh you know uh the fact is is that they did do it uh they were uh influential they did change the game uh in the 80s for a short period of time 
And, uh, you know, there are many lesser acts right. that have been inducted. They've into made a lot, of, a, a lot of, a lot of, a lot possible by their trailblazing efforts. Not just the first all female, female band to uh, have hits, but um, they wrote and performed all of their own instruments and vocals. So that, that's kind of like yeah. the difference between some other all female bands who, yeah. you know, had songs yeah. written for them. Yeah, yeah, uh, you know, uh, you know, the Runaways came uh, right. before them uh, as an all-female band, but they didn't write all their own songs, right. nor did they play all on the record and things like that. Right. Um, uh, and uh, I think the Bangles are another one that you could point to, mm -hmm. but they did not have a number one album. Mm -hmm. uh, I think they had some uh, some high charting uh, singles songs yeah right. uh yeah 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 but uh and uh you know uh and and don't get me wrong uh you know female performers solo you know rule the pop charts right. uh, these days uh you know um and uh, uh you know but uh it's different than you know uh, you know that that uh beetle-esque uh you know four or five Rock people band. that are yeah. you know in a in a group uh, that are working and, and and putting all of this together in their own self-contained right uh, out there so yeah. all right and this is you know uh, this is really kathy's story as opposed to the go-go story which uh, we're familiar with and those of uh, of you out there who uh, uh, listen to some of our own shows you may have picked up on um, uh, the devil's music uh, pleasant game and did interview belinda carlisle uh, here a couple of months ago, uh, and uh, uh, I think uh, our show Goldmine did interview um, Kathy uh, uh, for her book oh, cool. uh, uh, on the network. Mm -hmm. So, so this is our our, our third um, and deservedly so uh, venture into a, a part of the Go Go's, yeah. and this is one very specific to to Kathy's, and can't wait to get into it. So yeah. let's go. Yeah, I was uh, let's go go. Um, Let's go. You know, I have a soft spot in my heart for uh, female um, written autobiographies like Chrissy Hind and Debbie Harry. Um, of course, that's like near, near and so, dear well, to my heart. Hers, yeah, yeah, the, the yeah. woman that somehow breaks through the barriers and makes, uh, you know, and just plays music like they want to play music. That's that's the main goal. So. Um, yeah. So, you know, when she was writing this book, she wanted to be sure to write it from her, from her own point of view, because obviously everybody has their own points of view. And if she didn't write about it if she hadn't experienced it herself or uh, the other person hadn't shared it already. So in order to, you know, write this book and, and you know, one, one of the people that she writes about a lot is her mother who, you know, you might say wasn't a, a picture-perfect mother, but she had her mother's permission to to share what she did. So um, I thought that was a very, um, you know, kind of uh, noble way to write an autobiography, you know, a memoir. You're not like, just tell all, let me just like, you know, tell everybody's secrets that they've never shared mm -hmm. before. So she, she was responsible in writing this book. Um, yeah, interesting. Yeah. And so uh, she starts it out by um, saying the pivotal point for her was when she was 14 and visiting her English relatives, because her mother was English, um, with her mom and watching Top of the Pops, which, as many people will know, is a, a music TV show, um, kind of like American Bandstand, but in Britain. 
and she saw the leather-clad Susie Quattro playing bass and fronting a band of guys. And she knew oh, from that I... moment on, I mean, that was like her lightning bolt moment in her brain that yeah. uh, she wanted to be in a kick-ass band with a gang of like-minded girls. And that's kind of what the title of the book is, All She Ever Wanted. You know, which all mm. she ever wanted was to play music with women. And, you know, that would be her, her um, preference. And so I thought we would start off our music with uh, the song, the Go-Go song, Vacation, because this was a song that Kathy brought into the band when she entered the band as a bass player um, in 1980 or 81. I'll get there eventually. Um, so let's let's hear Vacation. This is one of the Go-Go's very um, yeah, hit records. Yeah, uh, penned by Kathy Valentine, uh, I think, uh, on the second album, if I remember right. With some... Yeah. Mm-hmm. She had... It was co-written... Yeah. Um, with yeah. Charlotte. Yeah. Uh, All right, let's yeah. get into it. Vacation, everyone. certainly has that early 80s vibe to it uh, you know um, that sort of uh, new wavy mm-hmm. um, American new wavy you know like like Devo-ish mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. type of thing not not quite English although there's a little a little of that in there uh, as well uh, but um, a cute song yeah. uh, and uh, oh, obviously a very cute video uh, of its day yes because <laughs> uh, let's face it they they were darlings on MTV yeah We'll get to uh, so, that. So yeah, yeah, so lots of lots of lots of fun. Yeah. Lots of fun. Yeah. Well, let's go back to her childhood. She she actually writes a lot about her childhood. Where it all begins. And uh, it's uh, hard not to say to tell about everything she writes about, but I know I mustn't do that. Um, she was born in 1959 in Austin, and her mother uh, was British, and her father was Texan, and he was in the Air Force. But about three years into her life, her parents split. So her father left the family and her mom could have taken Kathy back to England, but decided to live in Austin where her mom uh, attended the university of Texas. And um, soon thereafter her, her dad stopped contact with the family and kind of, you know, started a new family. So that was a big uh, kind of hole in um, Kathy's heart. I think for a long time was not having her father around And her mom was a very independent uh, kind of hippie mom and didn't provide a lot of structure or, you know, safety for Kathy. And that left left her with a lot of fear and uncertainty in her childhood. And um, when when she visited her mother's family when she was about 11, she saw that her mom had this like really formal relationship with her own mother and could see that her mom had kind of bucked that to be the 
friend, hippie mom that um, a lot of kids wish they had, but, um, you know, didn't really work for Kathy. Um, they moved to the Austin suburbs and they didn't fit in because the rest of the, you know, people in the suburbs were squares, as her mother said, and her mom didn't like conventions or rules and was very permissive. And Kathy was a latchkey kid and, you know, started in pretty early smoking and then drinking, <laughs> which Kathy calls alcohol, mm. which Kathy calls, I love this um, phrase, quote, a bottle of liquid forget, unquote. Mm. Yeah. Then she moved to weed and LSD, started doing poorly in school. And at the young age of 12, she was coerced into sex with her friend's brother. And then he told all his friends, of course, and she got this reputation. So, you know, it's kind of like a vicious cycle. She got a reputation as a slut, and then she had no oversight. And then high school boys started hanging out at her house and, um, you know, because there was no supervision. And um, eventually she had sex with an older boy and got pregnant in 1971. And her mom took oh, her wow. to L.A. for an abortion at Planned Parenthood because this was uh, two years before Roe v. Wade. And um, she, you know, needed to have it taken care of. And she said, with that, I lost my childhood. And she and her mom became like a couple of girlfriends as soon as early as when she was uh, a teenager. And she got into more and more dangerous situations with men. She was raped um, uh, when she was a teenager. And finally, she left public school and went to kind of a, a hippie private school that reminded me of the one I went to and took guitar lessons. And that really shaped her future because uh, she realized she really wanted to play the guitar. And so when she saw Susie Quattro on TV, um, when she went to London, it split her foundation of rock wide open. She knew women existed in music, but not this way leather clad with an electric bass screaming the lyrics and this had the same effect as lightning bolts shooting through her with with uh, thunder blasting along and all paths and possibilities suddenly pointed in one direction playing the guitar a common, a common uh, uh event that we have uh, heard and talked about many times. Right. There's always that moment uh, with, uh, oh, I think us as well. Yeah. That uh, uh, you know the light bulb goes on and you're like, wow, my world went from black and white right. to color. Um, and for many uh, people, know. as we've read, you know, it starts with the Beatles or seeing Elvis Presley. But I think right, this is right. really cute because she's a couple years younger than me, and I didn't, you know, I didn't have that. I was a little bit too young to have that epiphany with Elvis Presley or even the Beatles um, because I was just, you know, five or six or something like that. So um, yeah. this was like really important to her. And I love it was that it was, you know, a woman playing that really, you know, go goosed her. So uh, at that time, her mom's young drug dealer, heroin addicted boyfriend, <laughs> which oh is that God. how what her life was like as a youngster brought an electric guitar and amp to store at their house and taught Kathy a thing or two about electric guitars. And she said, it was the most empowering thing I had done in my entire life. So she continued 
to practice guitar right-handed, even though she's a lefty. And she said, it doesn't matter. Both hands are important and one will always be better. So that's her description of playing guitar as a right-handed guitar player and being a left-handed person. Um, I agree. Yeah, I, you're well, left-handed, uh, right? I, I'm I'm lefty and I play right-handed. Yeah, my well, husband I too. Call my guitar skills are that great. Um, you know the 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 fact is is that yeah. In the end, I'm not quite sure it really makes that much yeah. difference. I, I've had a lot of people say, oh, you know, it really does. Uh, that you know your dominant hand uh, picking is more important than you right. know uh, the the fretboard. Uh, but I mean, I, I, I don't know. I think, you know, in the end, uh, both hands are equally sure. important. And you could be like Joni Mitchell. Remember how we talked about? Yeah. How just create your own course. She had polio and her right hand yeah. was not working. I know her left hand didn't work that well. So she made chords. She tuned the guitar yeah. in a way that she didn't need a lot of strength in her left hand. So, you know, that's a, what's it called? A, um, oh, never mind. I can't think of the word right now. Okay. So, um, so she bought her own guitar finally because the drug dealer left the house and she, of course she loved, um, the Rolling Stones and she loved Keith most of all because he was the guitar player. So she was totally infatuated with Keith and Chuck Berry and she started a band with kids at school. And of course they came over to Kathy's house cause her mother was never home. And as we said, she lived in Austin, which, as we all know, is a mecca for music. Um, she got to go to all the clubs because they didn't care if you were underage or not. And she got a great music education. Um, saw Freddie King, B.B. King, Bobby Blue Bland, Frank Zappa, Little Richard, you know, Bruce Springsteen, the fabulous Thunderbirds. The fabulous Thunderbirds were very special to her because they were Texan. And she loved Jimmy Vaughn, who was Stevie Ray's brother. She said, Older brother. Yeah, yeah, she didn't want to fuck Jimmy Vaughn. She wanted to be Jimmy Vaughn, which is the, you know, mm. it's the, the main difference between women who grow up to be groupies and women to, who grow up to be, um, you know, musicians. Musicians. Yeah. <laughs> so she did start uh, an all girl power trio and bought her 62 Strat that she still has and she uses. Which is what she calls the best guitar in the world. Um, and by age 18, she was sitting in with bands, had met Stevie Ray, and told him how much Jimmy's playing had inspired her, which I think is really funny when you meet this god of guitar playing and you say, You know, I really like your, your brother's guitar playing. <laughs> and Stevie agreed. And he said, When I play, I'm playing all of what I know. And when Jimmy plays, he's playing about a tenth of what he knows. And if you know anything about Stevie Ray Vaughan, he idolized his big brother and who yes. taught him, you know, everything he knew. And then he went off on his own. So then the runaways came into town and she was very excited because she was the same age as them and they were living the life she wanted. And they lit a fire under her. For a while she was uh, living in London. Um, you know, she went to visit London because she has relatives there. And she started a girl group called Girl School, which I think went on without her. And uh, came home to Austin and was kind of invigorated by the punk, uh, you know, uh, style that she'd heard in, in London. 
So her next band was. So this is this is like seventy six, seventy seven. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And so she um, then joined a band called the Violators. Now I know I've looked on Wikipedia. The Violators are a, a, another band, but this was a very early punk band um, that originated in Austin. And I can't find any of their music, unfortunately, on YouTube. But they, um, the Skunks and the Violators launched punk in Austin. So they were the beginning of the punk scene in Austin at a club named Raoul's in 1978. If anybody can find the Violators, uh, a cut from them, that would be really cool. I'd love to hear it. Um, but like I said, I, I looked on YouTube and um, Spotify and wasn't able to find anything. So, yeah. I mean, I know the violators. I'm it, surprised. Is that not... the punk violators or a different vi- – there's two bands called the violators. So, um, Yeah, Live Fast, Die Young is the one I'm thinking of, and that's a different vi- I violators. I think so, yeah. I think so. So anyway, eventually she moved to L.A., which is where the big go-go story starts. Um, oh, yeah. She said... Uh, so why, what, brought her, what brought her out to Well, uh, she wanted to move somewhere. She wanted to either move to L.A. or New York because she was a Blondie's maniac. But The Plugs, which was the, an L.A. punk band, came to Austin, yeah. and she loved yeah. them, and she decided... If the plugs were in LA, she wanted to be in LA. So that's what, uh, that's what okay. turned the tide okay. for her. She said it was the place where real shit was happening. And she mm-hmm. was still a minor, so she couldn't go out to clubs and was living in a, you know, a studio apartment. Um, she felt isolated and frustrated, so she started writing songs. Her first song was Can't Stop the World, which we will revisit a little bit later. Um, the refrain that she wrote expressed what she needed to say in that moment, and it made her feel better. Her second song was about the disappointment in her best friend, and she called it We Don't Get Along. So we're going to hear um, right now a, um, a recording of Don't Get Along, which is a Go-Go's recording that they played in Tokyo in 1982. But it will give you a sense of the early kind of version of the Go-Go's before they got their record deal. (laughs) Got all cleaned up and and, uh, uh, popified, if you will. Okay, let's get to it. Uh, We Don't Get Along. You know, for her, writing her first real songs meant to her that she was a musician now, even though she'd been playing uh, music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was mm-hmm. really important mm-hmm. because she found out how to merge 
what was going on with her internally with what, with what she wanted to create musically. But, um, so her friend who she was in a band with arrived in LA and they just started, decided to start a new band and through the plugs and the runaways, she found out where underage people could go to hear music. And they went out every night to find mus musicians for their band. And they saw a go the Go-Go's at a club in the Valley. She was very interested in them because they were all girls, but she felt that they still had a ways to go. And this was in, um. yeah, 1980 <laughs> or so. 1979-1980. So I thought the next song we could play was is um, a, a recording of the Go-Go's playing before Kathy Valentine joined the band. And this one is called He's So Strange. And you can also find it on the album Return to the Valley of the Go-Go's. And it was recorded live at a rehearsal in January of 1980, which maybe either right after she joined them or let's see. Um, no, this was before she joined them. So let's so hear. So this, this is with Margo. This is with Margo. Right. Um, uh, Olivaria yeah. uh, on bass. Right. right? Okay. okay. So he's right. so strange. Well, you know, we're, th th this song and um, uh, the, the song before, mm -hmm. uh, We Don't Get Along, you know, you can still hear the that L.A. punky roots, right. uh, you know, the, the you know, the early X blasters uh, sort of thing. You know, the, the, the bands that came out of the mask mm -hmm. uh, in the, the late 70s, uh, they uh, you know, there's a, a little bit of a rockabilly influence uh, going on, mm -hmm. I think, more so than anything. I think that's what you got out of the L.A. punk scene more so than New York and, and, and London, mm. of which those were the only punk scenes with a exception here and there every once in a while. But uh, it's primarily those three cities is, right. you know, the, the original incarnation that, you know, 76 to about 81, 82, I think, you know, when, when uh, the LA scene got uh, really misogynistic and, um, yeah. Uh, and uh, aggressive, right. and 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 then it kind of just died out uh, pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. um, although although there was always it was always a punk element going on uh, in the underground. Uh, I mean, obviously it it didn't uh, come into the mainstream until the mid nineties mm -hmm. that you start to to get you know pop punk songs, if you will. So, but uh, yeah, yeah, you can hear some of that there with those those two songs. Yeah, Very cool. I just want to refer people back to our uh, the rock and roll librarian. Um, the um, the <laughs> the podcast we did on the John Doe compilation book about the LA punk scene, which was now yeah, under the big black sun. Yeah, under yeah. the big black sun. I was like, oh my god, I can't remember the name of the book. Um, which Ka Kathy didn't write a chapter for that, but both Jane uh, Whelan and Charlotte Kathy wrote chapters for that, and it's very a very 
yeah. evocative book yeah. about what what the LA punk scene was like at that time. Yeah. And my my little sister did see. She said of the bands she saw in LA during that period, she saw the Go Go's most most of all and that they were definitely had the, a real rough edge that she didn't recognize when the first album came out. album came yeah. out <laughs> yeah. i'm sure we will get into that yeah, when we get there definitely yeah uh I, I will say that uh again uh uh you know our sister show uh devil's music uh has an interview with john doe coming up oh soon. how fun i'm looking forward yeah. to that so anyway, she was out at the clubs. They were looking for musicians. And one of the drummers who answered Kathy and Carla's ad was Gina Shock. Um, but she was wearing overalls and, and she had her hair permed. And they didn't think she was a good fit. So that's kind of funny. Like before Kathy gets into the Go-Go's, she meets Gina Shock uh, as a drummer and decides not to hire her for her band probably a mistake. Oh, but um, <laughs> anyway, but as soon after that, well, only if it comes back to haunt her later in this story, but soon after that, she was, um, she had gotten, Gina had gotten hired by the Go-Go's after she had a makeover, which I think is funny. Um, so instead, uh, Carla and Kathy hired two men, uh, Mark Cuff and Dave Provost, and they named their band, the Textones. Um, the first demo included her song, We Don't Get Along, which we've heard already. And Carla's friend married Jake Riviera. Remember Jake Riviera, who, who was the manager of Rockpile, which, who we talked about when we did oh, the Nick yeah. Lowe book. Yeah, yeah. And the band, uh, this is a crossover. Uh, the band was asked to, the Textones were asked to lend their equipment to Nick Lowe, for the cruel to be kind music video at the Tropicana Motel. So when you see the cruel to be kind music video, that's Rockpile or Nick Lowe's music video, you can see that the drum kit has the name, the text tones on it, the drum kit that, um, that Rockpile's drummer is playing. So I thought that was really funny. Um, they didn't get, the text tones didn't get a record deal but she had a lot of fun being in LA and being part of the scene of uh, yeah. like that. So um, meanwhile, she visited Austin in the summer of 1980 and had a fling uh, with a young man. And then the flight back to LA, she scribbled the lyrics to the song vacation, which we heard at the front of this, uh, at the head of this podcast on a go -go napkin. Yeah. yeah. Many people, mm -hmm seem to write lyrics to songs on napkins on airplanes that she's not the first one I've heard that did that. And or uh, vomit bags. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and she said, I think we've had that before. The words were about true life longing. So this is another example of her being able to get her own emotions into a song. And, um, so, you know, the text tones kind of did okay. They recorded an EP, but they didn't get, uh, any results. So, but let's play Vacation by the text tones because I want people to hear what the song sounded like before uh, the Go-Go's got it. And it's, um, you know, it's basically uh, verse after verse after verse. There's no bridge and there's no chorus. <clears throat> right. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think um, 
the Go-Go's version is, uh, you know, a, 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 a dual writing credit uh, with, uh, with, uh, with Kathy and Charlotte. And I think Charlotte's the one who kind of came up with the, the actual uh, chorus, chorus yeah. for the Go-Go's yeah. version. And it, it so. does. All right. Well, let's hear, let's hear the original incarnation. And I believe this is uh, Kathy this- singing. Okay. okay. The Techstones Vacation. Yeah, uh, if, you know, 50 seconds in and no chorus, but you're at the middle eight. Um, yeah. So uh, it needed uh, some uh, TLC, and um, obviously it got it and uh, became a big hit. Yeah, I know. That's a good song, I think. I like, yeah. I like it. Um, so uh, at, the, at the same time, uh, the text tones were going nowhere, and she realized that the Go-Go's were gaining in pro popularity and at the end of 1980 on christmas night she went to see x at the whiskey they ruled the scene los angeles the album had just been released so she was in the middle of it which is a good place to be because it was there that she met charlotte caffey um and charlotte knew about kathy from the text tones and asked if she could play bass now, this is a similar story to Charlotte's story in John Doe's book, that when she met Belinda uh, a little while earlier than this meeting with Kathy, Belinda asked her if she could play lead guitar. When, when, Kath, when Charlotte only knew how to play the keyboard, <laughs> and Charlotte, of course, said, of course I know how to play lead guitar, and went home and quickly learned how to play lead guitar. Well, this is the same thing that happened to Kathy. Because when Charlotte asked her if she could play the bass, Kathy said she could, even though she'd never played the bass before. She'd only played guitar. So she went home, and because Margot was sick, Margot had like hepatitis or mononucleosis or something like that. So they needed a bass player for the next shows that they had lined up. So she got a rehearsal tape from Charlotte, borrowed a Fender Mustang bass, which proved to be perfect, and spent three days and nights learning to play bass on all their songs. And when they got right. together for a rehearsal, the other, li- other people liked how she played, and she knew what they should sound like, when to swing, when to drive, and her timing. So they really liked her. And um, she started playing with them live with their eight sold-out whiskey shows. Um, and everyone, of course, showed up for a whiskey gig, even other musicians. So it was so much fun for her because people really loved the Go-Go's. So it was really a shot in the arm for her to appear on stage. And she said it was the best time she'd ever had on stage or as a musician. 1981 began with Kathy on Cloud Nine. Meeting Charlotte had changed her life. They got 
positive coverage in the LA Times, and Charlotte asked her if she wanted to stay on. Of course she did. She want, did she want to be a songwriter? Yes. So they had to kick Margot out. <laughs> and that yeah, is shown in did. the documentary about how they did that. You know, these are all young women. They're not very good at these interpersonal things. But the five of them felt good together. And they really wanted Kathy to be part of their band. So that's what happened. I think the thing with Margot that we learned from the documentary that Margot was a real punk aficionado and only wanted to play punk music. And the Go-Go's were uh, at that time even going into a more pop direction. Um, so they, you know, they took their band. But did, hmm. did, did, she, did she elevate them musically? Did who, Margot or Kathy? Kathy. Apparently Kathy. she did. So, you know, that's what matters. That's usually what happens, yeah. uh, you know, and uh, it's unfortunate uh, uh, for Margot, but you know, it's unfortunate for Pete best, but there's no Beatles without Ringo. Right. So yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Know, you, have, you agree. Yeah. yeah you got to do yeah. what you got to do. But, yeah. but sometimes I'm just saying about, uh, you know, being young, how, how it was, yeah. how, how it was done, yeah. uh, was, uh, yeah, you know, it's, uh, uh, yeah, it's, ne it's never good when, you know, you're, you, you're, you're injured or <laughs> right. sick, uh, and you know, somebody comes in to just, you know, help you out and then they end up taking your position. Yeah. Uh, that, that must hurt. But, um, uh, I, I don't know if this is in the book, but, I don't know. Uh, karma does come back to bite Kathy because uh, I, I believe uh, she gets uh, replaced in, a, in around 2012. One of these reunions. Yeah, I mean it happens. She, she got she got hurt and uh, well, somebody replaced her. She got and, hurt uh, the first time the Go Go's <laughs> broke up, and she didn't want that. Well, which we'll see yeah. later. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. anyway. So, so they yeah. they took their music, you know, to labels, and of course, they they had lots of rejections, which all came from men. Uh, there had never been an all female band successful enough to warrant taking a chance, so they didn't get any bites. But finally, someone named Miles Copeland, who was the brother of Stuart Copeland, IRS um, Records. Yep, wanted to sign them to his new label. IRS, of course, one of his first bands he managed was the police because his brother was in the police. So uh, he had a certain, uh, you know, amount of experience there, of course. Um, Kathy loved her new life. Now, the record deal was only icing on the cake. She got paid $40 a week and they paid her rent, too, in an apartment off of Sunset. And as she says, this was my time our strip, our town. So I thought this would be a good place to play the song, the Go-Go song, This Town, which I believe was about L.A. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and a cool song. Yeah, cool song. I like So it let's too. get it. All right. This Town. Yeah. 
may be my favorite Coco song. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. There's just there's a coolness about yeah. it uh, uh, that you can feel, uh, and uh, and I always love uh, when Jane um, harmonizes with Belinda. Oh, just, yeah, sounds so cool. Yeah. I love their harmonies. Uh, they, Kathy doesn't talk about the harmonies much. I mean, they all, except for Gina, they were all singing on most of yeah. those records. And for me, that's one of the big things that makes the records, you know, it's like, I love yeah. harmonies. Yeah. So, yeah. So at that point they started recording a pop record with a punk ethic, as she said, their producer <laughs> was Richard Gotterer, Gotterer, yeah. who had made Gotterer. the first two Blondie records. And so they went to New York city to record and it was recorded for $40,000, their first album. She enjoyed every mm. minute. Our youth and joy were the intangible and unprovable source in forming our performances. Richard wanted them to play their songs slower so the melodies and hooks had time to breathe. And Kathy borrowed a bass from John Chambati of Clover, who had played the bass on Elvis's My Aim is True. So remember when we read, we talked about Elvis's autobiography and his first album, My Aim is True, wasn't uh, backed by the attractions. It was backed by the American band Clover, who came over to England. And Clover was Huey Lewis's band. So anyway. Yeah, yeah. That, out of the uh, the pub rock uh, scene. Right. Uh, I think Clover was, was out of that pub rock yeah. scene as well. I love yeah. the way. <laughs> I think uh, we talked about that with the Nick Lowe. Oh, Nick Lowe is going to come back. He's going to come back in this one all the time. I'm sorry. I'm not done with Nick Lowe yet. <laughs> okay. So the, the single, in fact, We Got the Beat, which was the first single, you know, on the album, um, the album, uh, Beauty and the Beat, uh, had already been released on Stiff Records in 1980 before Kathy joined the band because the Go-Go's had gone over to England and had a lot of success. And like you, told, you were talking about before we started recording, when they came back to L.A., everybody was like, oh, my God, the Go-Go's have really got it now. I mean, they've been changed yeah. by, their, uh, yeah. by their trip to London. So that that single, uh, which was re released on Stiff, um, got a lot of got some traction as a minor club hit, and you can hear it, the single version, the Stiff version on Return to the Valley of the Go Go's, if you want to find it. But we're um, not playing that version right now. No, we're going we're gonna, to play we're gonna do the, the, the big bad version, the Go Go's version right now. Right, right. All right. So let's listen to We Got the Bee.
so yeah, they they actually re-recorded this song, um, you know, in the studio in New York City. So this is uh, oh, that's right. It was kind of a minor little. They had that's right. They had released it, and it was uh, I wouldn't call it a hit, but it it had been out. Yeah, you know, somewhat a more popular, less produced uh, version. Right. Yeah. And um, for this album, um, which they called Beauty and the Beat, which was Belinda's idea, actually, the, the title of the, of the album, um, they, uh, they wanted to make all the songs on the album be originals. They didn't want to do any covers, which was really inspired. Good, I mean, good for them. Really yeah. good for mm -hmm. them. So they added Kathy's... Um, uh, uh, song we um can't stop the world which i mentioned earlier this was the first song she wrote when she got to la and she was all alone in her room and this is the go-go's version of kathy's first song can't stop the world let's listen to that now that song at that point they really couldn't stop the world and um as kathy says their com camaraderie grew like newlyweds on a honeymoon <laughs> is that on their first album is yes that right? beauty uh, and the beat yeah, yeah beauty and the beat right 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 so she says uh drinking and coke became her drugs of choice and oh, they everybody, all... drink, everybody drink everybody drinks coke come on <laughs> can't be that, but... drinking and cocaine and she said, you know, of course, they were all doing, you know, all kinds of things. I mean, they were young, you know, 20, 21. Yeah. Yeah. They had fun together. By the, by the way, um, um, uh, Margot had uh, hepatitis A. Oh, okay. Uh, was the sickness uh, that, uh, that was. allowed Kathy to come in and steal her job. Well, I never. But I mean, I'm sure she had a great <laughs> life. Okay. So at least she got over it. <laughs> That's debatable. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know anything about her. I gotta say. Right. All right. So anyway, they were like, as she said at one point, they um, they uh, went through a collective adolescence together, which I like. Mm -hmm. They, you know, played mm -hmm. pranks. They, you know, they did their their hijinks, and especially Kathy and Belinda were real, you know, troublemakers, kind of fun lovers. At that time, she said, in the in the two months in New York, the quintessential spirit of the Go Go's had solidified. Um, she felt the carefree and unfettered joy of being five girls in a band, but that was kind of the end of how easy it would ever be again. Um, mm. 
So when the album was done, they listened to it and they were frustrated. <laughs> they, they blamed the producer. The live Go-Go's were raucous, full of attitude and energy. But this record, they felt at the time, was wimpy and clean. Um, which was funny. Too. But that, that's the way they felt when they yeah. first heard the record. Yeah. Of course, after it became very popular, they changed their minds. <laughs> yeah yeah you mean like Which a they number had to one album uh, yeah. yeah that'll change your mind the, the yeah. first oh, yeah. single yeah, our lips yeah. are yeah. sealed they considered it had failed the least in their eyes <laughs> which i think is funny our lips are sealed had failed the least in their eyes it was a perfect pop tune with an atypical structure unexpected chord changes and smart lyrics written by Jane Weedlin. It took a lot of work to get it on the charts. There was enormous resistance from major radio programmers. Then a MTV happened. With enormous reluctance and arrogance, they agreed to make a music video. It was silly, but it went into high rotation. It did the yeah. Oh yeah, they spent like six grand on it. It wasn't. It was cheap. It was a an afternoon. Right. And by I playing remember they in tried the to fountain. Get arrested, yeah. Uh, at the it, it, it presented to yeah, them right, to right. the public without yeah. errors or gloss. They they rented a red convertible. They drove around. They sang the song, and they ended up in a fountain. Um, and in in this way on MTV, they were the first. No, Hoping that would to have get been arrested, a better but video. But I, yeah. I mean, it was a cute video. It was the first all-girl band that many people had ever seen, thanks to MTV. And none of the stuff they had originally disliked about yep, the record yep. stopped it from being one of the most successful debuts ever. Kathy's opinion changed with climbing sales. <laughs> so let's listen to the first single, Our Lips Are Sealed. is the construction of a really really good pop song i mean uh you 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 begin with uh with the beat uh you add uh, a few flourishes about every uh four measures uh 18 seconds in the vocal is there uh and at 45 uh the the uh, at about 35 the pre-chorus <laughs> is in and at 45 you're in the chorus I mean, bing, bang, boom. And then you just build from there. You build to the next verse, uh, extend the chorus a little bit. You got the, 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 the bridge of the middle eight and then, uh, you know, chorus out and you're good. You know, I mean, it's, yeah. it's just so a well-crafted song. where's your hit, Christian? <laughs> you, have the, you have the formula. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I know a lot more now than I ever did. Uh, but yes, believe me, there are many days that uh, I say after doing this yeah. job for five years now, uh, saying to yeah. myself, geez, if I'd known all this, yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> I would have known exactly what to do in my 
in my twenties, and and I do hope that uh, you know some of our fans, and especially uh, some of our younger fans, uh, might uh, you know look to Pantheon as uh, you know what 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 are all those yeah. clues? What uh, what are all those pieces that? Uh, do make uh, that and you know we're not the only ones out there these mm-hmm. days that can, yeah. uh, can break that down but uh, uh, but I think I think we have uh, you know found some interesting layers uh, that, um, that tell me I mean you know uh, for example uh, you know almost every uh, of the uh, the the big time rock and rollers that I've ever spoken to uh, I, I always end up asking some sort of question about what they might do other than right. what they ended up doing. And right, there is right. no answer. <laughs> right, there was no exactly. plan B, basically. It was right. this or fail and die. Uh, yeah. And that's kind of the way you have to be when yeah. you're you're pursuing a dream like this. You just, you know, you just got to put one foot in front of the other every day. You got to make progress every day. You got to realize that it's a job mm-hmm. and that you have to work at it. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, at the same time you need to then discover, you know, okay, what, what, what are these other things right. that make something work now? Of course, you know, let's face it. They, they probably took uh, our love seals. I don't know. I don't know if I've ever heard an early version of the song, you know, and then, uh, uh, got her, uh, you know, cleaned it up and, uh, you know, constructed it and arranged it, uh, yeah. in the manner that, yeah. uh, the final product shows. So that's interesting. Yeah. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you do you think it still has that sort of punky? I don't no. really hear much of the punky attitude in that song. I yeah. do in yeah. We Got the Beat and This Town and some of the other tracks on the no. album, but not that pop. one. That one's yeah, pretty much I a agree. pop yeah. hit out the door. It, it definitely yeah. is. In fact, you know, I, when I was young, I wasn't really that much interested in the Go-Go's because they sounded so clean and poppy, you know. So, but of course their songs are infectious and you can't, you know, when you hear it, you have a good time and you can't, you know, get it out of your brain. So. Yeah. And it's, it's also, uh, you know, this is a, a co-written from um, uh, uh, the specials, um, uh, Terry Hall, uh, who mm-hmm. they, you know, that's who they hung around with. I think the special had come to LA and then convinced them to come to England and uh, they kind of right. were, were buddies. The specials uh, did a version of this song, uh, didn't they? Did the specials do somebody? The specials did a version of one of their songs. Anyway, um, I don't remember, but they I think, uh, fun Fun Boy Three uh-huh. did a version of. So uh, anyway, no, man. Oh, maybe no. Okay. Yeah, yeah, maybe so. Yeah. Oh, of which, uh, yeah, yeah, oh, of which Terry okay. Hall is in Fun Boy 3. It all makes sense. It all makes sense. Yeah. All right. So, of course, <laughs> they have to go tour uh, after their album comes out. So that was fine. And that was fun. Uh, but she does say the promotion was drudgery. So, you know, they had to go promote the, the record. They had to be on the uh, radio. Uh, every they day. They had to yeah. be interviewed. Yeah. They never yeah. turned down an opportunity to, pe- to appear because they wanted their music to get played. But you all can. of the journalists, the DJs, the promoters yeah. were men, um, pretty much. And one recurring question, you know, they always ask silly questions. And actually, even I saw them on, I think, The Tonight Show when Joan Rivers was uh, the, the, you know, the sub host. And she was very annoying, too. It's like she's interviewing this band who just have a hit record, and she's like, do, do you girls like fight over men, you know, and like, you guys have boyfriends and you're all so cute and everything. It's like, Joan, will you ask them something about their music for God's sakes? You know, it's all about 
like that they're in a sorority or something and you guys are cute and you must like maybe you like the same boys or you know i was like will you shut up well i don't know if we can blame i don't know if we can blame um Joan Rivers, as much as we could blame the patriarchy. Right. Uh, I mean, the, she was uh, part of that. Sure. The box. So you can't that, just uh, say if. Yeah. yeah that, and you that, can't that just that say women that men were in charge of everything and they, you know, had a certain attitude because women pick up men's attitudes, of course, and think that those are the important things. Um, so one, one question that they got asked a lot was about groupies. And, you know, people always wanted to know if they had groupies. But actually, they didn't have groupies. Um, she said her, her, um, her feeling about that is that guys, okay, I, I, well, I would, guys I would have didn't want to play supplicant to strong women. That's what Kathy said in her book. So, you know, it's different. It's, it's skewed, even though. Again, right. again, the patriarchy right. and the expectations of men and women. And, uh, and yes, I, I can, I can understand where that, and, especially. And one of the, the reasons may have been because be very difficult. Uh, the girls, the women, the girls, I mean, they're young. I feel like they're my daughters. Um, they didn't have, uh, they weren't interested in one night stands. So they would have many affairs or, um, you know, like short affairs, but they weren't into having just the one night slam bam, thank you, ma'am, kind of thing, or thank you, man, kind of thing that, that the men were interested in. <laughs> um, and the tour stopped in Austin, which uh, surprisingly was uncomfortable for her. She wasn't expect, she was expecting like, oh, I've made it. And now I'm going back to my hometown and I'm going to return triumphant. But um, you know, it just made her nervous to be back in her hometown. Um, and uh, when the Rolling Stones toured Tattoo You, the Go-Go's opened for them at their smallest venue in Illinois. That was thrilling for her, of course, because as we know, she was a big Keith Richards fan. Um, and uh, speaking of name dropping, John Belushi was an early fan of theirs and uh, was a drinking buddy and a, uh, somebody she hung out with in those days. And speaking of John Belushi, they did go on Saturday Night Live, which is one of those um, Saturday Night Live appearances, oh, not quite maybe yes. as bad as The Replacement or Elvis Costello. But she said they got there in the morning <laughs> and they drank all day. I mean, the cast members too, all day until they went on. And so, of course, they were all drunk. And somebody said yeah. right before they went on that um, how many millions of people would be watching. So then they all got terrified. So they were terrified and drunk. And um, so it wasn't a very good performance, but it still, of course, highlighted their music and drove the sales up of. Um, of their single, Our Lips Are Sealed, which became a hit um, and forced the radio to play, the, to finally play their song. So, you know, the radio hadn't been playing their song and they had to keep working to get it on the charts. Um, and then they went to, um, to Europe and they opened for the police because of course their manager had an in with the police and yeah, I think and so while on tour with the police, Sting, who hadn't really given them the time of day before this, burst into their dressing room with a bottle of champagne to celebrate that Beauty and the Beat had passed the police's own 
ghost in the machine on the charts. And that was, I thought that was really classy of him to Big celebrate deal. with them. Yeah. That was oh, a nice sting, yeah. um, story. Mm-hmm. And then they got mm-hmm. a nomination in 1981, a Grammy nom for the best new artist. Everyone bought a fancy thrift store dress, <laughs> which is so typical of them. I used to wear thrift store dresses too, but they lost to Sheena Easton. <laughs> so they left and went out to party before the Grammys were even over, which of course made them bad girls in the Grammys' eyes. And she said, the Grammys were just about as hip as your grandparents were. I felt proud to have joined the ranks of overlooked yeah. but deserving bands. Beauty and the Beat finally made it to number one and stayed there for six weeks. And We Got the Beat went to number two. Never before or since had a record written, performed, and recorded by an all-female band gone to number one. They had made music history. So that's, that was their first big coup. And as you said, their record... <clears throat> and and everything goes to crap from there let's stay on a high here christian (laughs) (laughs) for a second at least at least for a minute (laughs) then money entered into it so that's when the bum 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 starts because this is the first evil that enters the the joyous world of the girl, the Go-Go's. Because the first payday came and there were big differences in how much they each made, depending on songwriting credits. She was in the middle with Gina and Belinda at the bottom. So the drummer and the singer were at the bottom and Charlotte and Jane, who wrote most of the songs, were at the top. Money became the sixth person in the room. There's, she said, there's no law about songwriting credits. It's not clear cut. But she was a people pleaser because she grew up with this, you know, I mean, if you know anything about uh, alcoholic or drug addicted family systems, since Kathy grew up with no supervision from her mother, she became the people pleaser, the person that tried to make everything okay and take care of everyone. So that was her position in the band too. She wanted them all to be happy. And so she was very unhappy with people being unhappy. <laughs> and, you know, there were arguments about it. So without a good song, one written by Jane or Charlotte or her, they wouldn't have a hit. But without the performance, meaning the very strong drumming that Gina gave and the very, you know, like this, not just Belinda's singing, but her, her charisma and her, you know, performance as a front woman, as you know, which is really important. So they wouldn't have had hits without either one. But the feelings had gotten in the way. They festered and they never really went away. And, um, but at that point, they had to go on and start a new album. Even though maybe they should have stuck with the old album and kind of milked it more. They really wanted to make a new album and they got what they wanted. So the second album was Vacation. And we've already heard Kathy's song, Vacation. Um, And uh, it was perfect for the new album. And to avoid bad feelings, she was generous in giving credit to Charlotte and Jane, who had both contributed. The songwriting credits had become arduous and tricky. And in, in the documentary, I remember someone notes that without that song, the album wouldn't have gone anywhere. So Kathy was very pivotal in the second album being 
popular at all and being, you know, a good, a good, strong album. But she still, yeah, she still had a a good follow up, you know, um, kind of feelings of inadequacy when she compared her songwriting against Jane and Charlotte's. But she kept at it anyway. And they also added her song, We Don't Get Along, to that album, which I don't think we've played yet. So let's play the song, We Don't Get Along. I realized we actually played uh, We Don't Get Along already, but it was a very early live version. So this is the Go-Go studio version of We Don't Get Along. Oh, that's right. Um, The album was, yeah. I wouldn't call it a hit. catchy tune. I I like it. Yeah. It was, uh, the record was recorded Mm. in Malibu at Indigo Ranch, and uh, it was released in 1982 and came out to mostly good reviews. Um, the band was branded as Girls Next Door, bouncy and cute, which they all hated. They didn't want the cutesy label. They wanted to be, of course, musicians, but the media boxed them in. Um, they knew their fans knew from live performances that they came to a show to bury everyone with bash, a bash and crash attitude. And she didn't think they were pop sweethearts. You can um, actually, if people want to see what they were like in concert at that time, even after releasing their pop albums, you can watch um, the full concert at Rock Palast in Berlin to see what the Go-Go's were like live, which is really fun to go to those Rock Palast. They do mm-hmm. the, um, you know, they, people used to go on the show in Berlin um, and they they do like full you know a full video of the whole concert. You can see Rock Pile on Rock Palace too, which is really cool. Speaking of Nick Lowe again, <laughs> anyway, yeah. So, <laughs> Always makes um, an entrance. So she said she just like you know talks a, lot, a little bit about how women are treated by PR people in uh, contrast to how men were treated. She says, did men get handed lollipops and balloons to pose with? No, but they did. And um, a good example is the Rolling Stone, their first Rolling Stone cover shoot, which was shot by Annie Leibovitz. So you would think it would have kind of a a feminine kind of uh, orientation or point of view. But instead, Annie Leibovitz um, insisted they wear men's white Hanes undergarments. Kathy still doesn't know what her vision was, but if you can picture it or if you want to look it up, they're all in like, you know, uh, white tank tops, white boxer shorts, white t-shirts, 
Um, and the tagline was on the front page of the Rolling Stone on, on the cover was the go goes put out, which is, you know, a double entendre, but she really believes that the Rolling Stone cover photos of women are always sexist. And I have to agree. They're always like very, the women on the covers are always very clantily, clantily, scantily clad. I was going to say clantily scad, (laughs) but that was very strange. Didn't sound right. Um, So, you know, they went along with it, but when they came out, they were disappointed and confused they were honored to be on the cover, but why did they make, why did the, you know, the, the writer make fun of them? Like do this, this double entendre, like, yes, the, the Go-Go's had just put out their first album. They were putting out, you know, to make it big in the, in the music world. But it also has this, of course, meaning of that they, you know, have sex with anybody. So, um, you know, they just, it was kind of, um, that they had no control over it. It's like Debbie Harry so this, having her picture taken and having it be, you know, more the nudie shot than the head shot that went on. I can't remember which album or whatever it was, but, you know, it happens to women, especially good-looking women. Yeah. yeah. Um, sex sells. Uh, so, you know, that's a thing. And uh, I don't know. It, uh, in, in, I, I see uh, the point. I, I take it that she was uh, yeah. really bothered by this. They all were. Uh, you know, uh, at the same time, I'd, I'd say that, um, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, contemporary maybe metal hair bands when on the cover of Rolling Stones were made to be sex mm-hmm. symbols to females. Uh, and so uh, it, it's not surprising that Rolling Stone would, uh, you know, want this sort of uh, of um advertisement Mm -hmm. uh for their magazine uh out there um you know uh you know you can take it a couple of different ways uh you know again i think that uh uh you know the the to the record company they're just trying to sell as many records as possible and if they can get uh, boys to think that they can sleep with one of the go-go's that's uh, i mean it's totally not surprising (laughs) that's the disappointing part to me it's not surprising All right. Yeah. Well, I Twice. think they were they yeah. were on the cover yeah. later on too, and twice, I don't think right? she was yeah. particularly so... happy with that one either. But um, yeah. yeah. But on the plus side, of course, the single "Vacation" went to number eight and stayed there for over three months. So you know, it was a it was a a hit, I'd say. And uh, they toured again, bigger mm-hmm. than yeah. ever went to Hollywood Bowl, then Madison Square Garden, and she says those were the most vivid and tangible memories of my entire Go-Go's career. Being at those two, you know, performing on those two stages were for her a big deal. And when they went on the European tour, she said, it was really funny, like, it was like being a giant baby with a bunch of babysitters. That's how they were treated on tour. Like everything was given to them, everything was taken care of. And she really liked being on tour because she liked the the structure of being on tour and she felt really at odds when the go-go's weren't either recording an album or being on tour and after the european tour she went to stay with carlene carter and nick lowe in london (laughs) i get to say 
she was and Carlene were friends and they became even better friends. They stayed up all night drinking and writing songs um, together, not Nick, but Carlene and she, and then they would give them to Nick for approval because, you know, he was the big producer in those days. Um, One of the songs they wrote together was I'm the only one, which at the time she thought seemed too classic rock for the Go-Go's, but she always thought that Carlene might cut it. Um, But in retrospect, we find that that song did appear on a Go-Go's album. I'm not sure. I didn't find any um, evidence that Carlene ever uh, recorded that one. So let's hear the song that Carlene and Mm -hmm. Kathy Valentine wrote together. I'm the only one. It does seem very classic rock to me. Um, very, um, yeah, it's got that kind of rock sound, not necessarily go-go's until they all come in with the harmonies. Um, and that one uh, um, appeared on their third album, Talk Show. Oh, yeah, but better than We Don't Get Along, if you ask me. Uh, yeah, I can, I can get I, into it, I too. It's, into it's a good yeah. dance song, for sure. Of course, they're, most of their songs are good dance songs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, after, so they, uh, Miles Copeland got them back together to discuss this third album, uh, talk show and Charlotte and Kathy collaborated on the song head over heels, which is, um, one of, uh, you know, it's one of the very well-known go-go song, I think. And, uh, yeah, it's a good one. Let's let, I know we just listened to a song, but let's listen to that one unless you have something to say about it. (laughs) <laughs> um uh head over heels so this is the third album talk show the last the last originals album of yeah. uh, the original go-go's uh, or the original run i should say even though I, I they did replace um jane uh after the, right after the the mm-hmm. uh the album was done uh for the tour uh that was pretty much it they, they i think they just did one tour and then realized uh, that we'll get Jane, there it's just, yeah it's not gonna happen yeah. <laughs> okay okay and uh yeah I, and yeah, at the same time um you know uh head over heels is a cool song but I, I think that's the only like real hit yeah. on that album so i don't know maybe maybe they were uh coming to an end uh, i know uh, from the documentary uh some of the issues the money issues were still a big deal and uh, they had agreed that they would um uh all share the revenue equally and Jane said no because she had written most of the songs for the upcoming album and was like, 
-hmm. well on the next album okay uh and uh you know so it's just more nails in the coffin that you can kind of see coming Mm -hmm. along uh very quickly here so all right let's that let's let's listen to you know Mm -hmm. probably their last big hit head over heels They changed producers now. Uh, uh, that particular song sounds the closest to something like Our Lips Are Sealed uh, that, uh, you know, you expect to come out the gate and, and be a hit. Uh, but uh, Martin Rushant uh, produced this, uh, this particular album. And, uh, you know, again, it just, it, it's, it's almost like a, you know, a train that's, you know, heading to disaster yeah. and there's just no way um, to stop it. Yeah, even, yeah, this one peaked at number 11. Um, and one one of the um, kind of uniquer, uniquer things about this song is that Charlotte uh, plays uh, keyboards on this song. Now, remember we talked about how Charlotte's first instrument was the piano, and then she was the lead guitar player. <laughs> yeah. So she plays piano on yeah. this song, yeah. and... Um, as Kathy said, she slayed. So if, if when we play it, uh, we can hear her piano solo, that would be really cool. Um, and one of and, and one thing that happened around this time when they were recording this album was that Charlotte got um, carpal tunnel syndrome in one of her hands and it was hard for her to play the guitar. So that threw Kathy into a frantic mess because um, being a go-go, remember, she didn't really have much of a family. And so when she joined the Go-Go's, that was her family. And that's why she loved it so much. She was, it was her entire identity, actually. And um, so it was really hard on mm-hmm. her to have this one. This was another chink in there in the Go-Go's. was like, well, what if Charlotte can't play guitar? Um, but something really wonderful happened uh, to kind of lift her out of this, which happens happened to um, Debbie Harry and Blondie too, which was that Bowie asked her, asked the Go-Go's to go on tour with him. And so that was, as she said, the absolute random insanity and perfection of fortune found me again. The Go-Go's were asked to open for Bowie at the Anaheim Stadium in 1983 on his serious Moonlight tour. And they were giddy because they, you know, he was one of their idols. And um, this was one of their best tours. Um, You can find it on YouTube. You can find them playing live on YouTube, but it's only audio. But the whole, one of their uh, performances for that tour is on uh, YouTube. And the Go-Go's called it their their serious barbecue tour, (laughs) which was kind of funny. Um, So... 
on on the album talk show, which, as you said, was their last, you know, real album together during this phase, um, the new producer, Martin Rushent, um, said that uh, Kathy could contribute some lead guitar tracks because of Charlotte's carpal tunnel, and also she was having some uh, drug issues. Um, so Kathy plays lead guitar on some of these songs on this album, and they wrote all of their guitar solos. There was no improvising going on in the Go-Go's. The songs were structured, and they had certain solos that yeah. needed to be there to move the song forward. Um, so she did them on the album, and then they figured Charlotte would learn them for the tour. Um, and at this point, Jane asks if she can sing one of the songs that she wrote on this out al- for one of the tracks on the album. And all the other girls, all the other women, I should say, um, said, "No, no, you can't sing a song. That that's Belinda's job." So they were very, all very, you know, kind of rigid in their um like kathy wanted to play guitar on some songs instead of bass but that you know wasn't really allowed especially in um in concert and um they they uh, because kathy played both guitar and bass and charlotte played piano and guitar so why couldn't they and they all sang so why couldn't they you know mix it up a little she she in retrospect she thinks um that this, you know, we could have supported each other and granted space for each of us to grow instead of confining ourselves to a formula with a limited shelf life. And this is actually a really big rift in the band because Jane left the recording after being denied uh, a singing, you know, spot. Um, so, and she didn't just leave the record, she left the country. <laughs> she just went, I'm like, fuck you all. And left oh, Jane, and I'm out of here. I think she came back yeah. for the mixing. But at that point, she said um, that, you know, um, shortly after that, she said, I'm leaving the band. And, but Kathy was really in denial. She just, ignored all these warning signs and just thought that the Go-Go's, you know, wanted the Go-Go's to, to go on in this incarnation forever and ever. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, of course the second, um, single from the album, I thought we could play, Oh, well the second, no, this isn't one of Kathy's, but this is another one that was, um, kind of, reached some popularity called turn to you and one of the reasons i thought we could play it was the music video of this song stars rob lowe who was not real famous in those days but he was one of her buddies i mean she hung out with with rob lowe she and belinda they just hung out you know in la and he stars in the music video which is really cute because the the women play men in a band at a party and then they also play themselves in the audience dancing and then there's this like little storyline with rob Lowe and you know two of the girls kind of fighting over who's going to dance with him and stuff like that so i thought that would be fun for people to watch yeah, um, so check out the video and uh, but we will play from the, the song <laughs> Lucky. Wait a minute. <laughs> One, two, and a... 
Yeah, you know, you're starting to see <laughs> where it's a good song, uh, and it makes sense to be a single. I, but it, it, I think it only got in the top forty, uh, right. and not very high. And so you can start to see where, uh, you know, without changes, without um, uh, you know, a refresh. Uh, and 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 you know, I hate to say it, but I think Jane's right. I, you know, well, I think so too. To things up, yeah. Bit, utilize other strengths that they had. Uh, and uh, they probably would have been able to continue on, yeah. uh, certainly a few yeah. years longer than that. Would have been a fresh, a freshening, but, right. a freshening of up of the band. Yeah. So uh, yes. you know, mm-hmm. when when they went on tour, Jane told them that was it. That was her last tour. She didn't, you know, leave before they toured. But uh, Kathy would just panicked. Um, because Jane was so integral to the band, of course, she was a major songwriter. She was a major, you know, backup singer. She had, you know, I mean, they were all part integral to the band. Um, so she suggested that she move to guitar and they get a new bass player. So they hired somebody named Paula Jean Brown, who was in the documentary, um, and uh, she was a really good fit because she was coming into this group of women who already had this relationship, but she was very easygoing. She really cared about the music and she just, you know, she had a, she was also a guitar player. So she, um, uh, Kathy felt like maybe that was the reason that they both sounded good on Go-Go's because they were guitar players who were playing bass and it gave it the same kind of feel and sensibility. Um, so, mm-hmm. um, they, I don't know, they, they just wondered at that point, what would the chemistry be without Jane? But they went, uh, directly to rock in Rio, which, uh, I remember talking about when we did the Bruce Dickinson autobiography with, um, his band, which is I'm blanking on, uh, Iron Maiden was in rock and Rio Iron and Maiden. all the excesses and how huge it was. And people had to like go on tra- trains around the, you know, band side. There were all these different stages. Um, but Kathy really enjoyed playing the guitar and they hung out with Rod Stewart and his band and they had a good time, but she realized that Charlotte and Belinda didn't seem to be that happy at that time. Um, so after the tour, the new girl, Paula asked the others, what is the band going to do about Charlotte? And it was clear to her as an outsider that Charlotte was a heroin addict, but all the other women had kind of put blinders on and not seen it because Charlotte was a really functional addict, obviously, but um yeah and um the others like looked at each other like what's this new chick talking about there's nothing wrong with charlotte but paula made them see that um that charlotte was indeed an addict and had been an addict for several years and um kathy said paula's entire purpose in the go-go's may have been to save charlotte's life because paula was the one who suggested that charlotte go to rehab and none of the other women could do that because they were all still drinking and drugging. So, you know, it, was, it wouldn't have made any yeah. impression yeah. on Charlotte. But with, when Paula did it, she decided, you know, she agreed to go into, um, into rehab. Of course, Kathy didn't see her wine and her cocaine as a problem because, you know, it was just the way 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it wasn't heroin. Exactly. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But um, when Charlotte got out of rehab, it was hard to get the same chemistry back. Um, Charlotte missed writing songs with Jane. And um, Gina and Kathy refused to see that for Charlotte and Belinda, the fun had stopped. So in 1985, management called a meeting where Belinda and Charlotte both said, we've decided to break up the band. That was a sucker punch for Kathy. She really, you know, even, even though the signs were all there, she didn't see them. She didn't know this was going to happen. And she went into grief, shock, and anger. And she, could, she says she's sitting in the room and she could see management already eyeing Belinda for the solo contract. They didn't care about the Go-Go's anymore. They just wanted Belinda to be a solo act. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, that's not and, surprising. Um, and Charlotte needed to prioritize her health. Um, and so, you know, they talk about this on the, on the documentary too, where Charlotte said, I write the hits and Belinda is the voice. And that was really like hurtful to the, to Gina and Kathy, you know, it's like, Oh, so you're saying, you guys, we can't have this band without you, which, of course, was true. They couldn't have the band without her. Um, but Kathy says, it all meant so much to me more than a band or a career. My self-esteem, my identity, my family, my purpose were all encased in Go-Go's rapping, tied up in band life. The pain felt greater than any loss I had endured. So at that point, all she could do was go on vacation to Greece with Clem Burke, who she had gotten together with, Clem Burke, the drummer of Blondie. And she had had a long time oh, crush on him, and they, they finally got together when, when she was in Europe. So that was cute. And when she came back to L.A., um, they, she had bought a house, apparently, before the Go-Go's broke up. So that was a problem because she had a house and a mortgage and no band. And Carlene Carter came to stay with her because she was down in the dumps due to her marriage to Nick Lowe being on the rocks in 1985. And, you know, they thought, oh, we'll just have a good time together, nurse, lick our wounds and, and uh, you know, hang out uh, together. But uh, something really um, drastic and, and uh, traumatic actually happened when they were living together in LA, which was that they had a home invasion and a man entered the room in the middle of the night and held them captive and threatened them with a knife and a gun. And uh, Kathy was the one who actually fought back and talked um, the guy into taking her car and getting away. She said, the keys are on the counter. Take whatever you want to. Please just don't take my guitar. Oh, yeah. And he, wow. he left. Um, but she couldn't stay in the house anymore after that. They rented a suite at a hotel for a few weeks, and she couldn't pay for it. So Johnny Cash and June Carter footed the bill for their time. Oh. Because you, as you all know, June Carter was Carlene Carter's mother. So, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. and then she talks about finally getting to meet her idol, Keith Richards, when she was visiting New York City while the Stones were recording. Um, God, I don't remember what they were. What were they recording in um, 1985? I think maybe. Yeah. Steel Wheels. So or? she finally got to meet, meet Keith Richards, who was his uh, her idol. And. She remembers uh, 
<laughs> oh, so she didn't, she didn't get to meet yeah. them, uh, which is not unusual yeah. when they, they were, open And they only for opened them. for yeah, them, yeah, I think, not one, one uh, show. But he, he claimed to remember mm. that they opened for them in 1981. And she, she told him, this is so cute. It's like me telling Tom Petty that if he would come over, I would make him pancakes. She told him, but it's actually not that, that lame and sad. Uh, she told him that she had named him in her will <laughs> to inherit her 62 Stratocaster. So she had like written a will and named Keith Richards. Like he was going to be the one. Yeah. 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 The recipient when, of the 62 she left, Strat. She said, oh. I hope I see you again before I see that guitar of yours. And, and Kathy thought that was really funny because she said, <laughs> he knows he's, go out, he's going to outlive us all. Like if he saw Kathy Valentine's guitar, that would mean that Kathy had died before him. And she was, of course, a lot younger than him. So she thought that was hysterical. Um, back in LA, she felt more and more hopeless and drinking was her crutch. Because Belinda had, in the meantime, become a huge solo act. Um, and she not just became a big mm -hmm. solo act, but she brought in Charlotte and Jane to work on her first solo album. So that really cut. Um, also, yeah. the Bangles were getting big. Yeah. And, um, you know, and they were riding on yep. the shoulders of the Go-Go's, of course, first, you know, successes. Um, and then Gina had her own band at that time, too. So Kathy was very pained that she wanted to be in a band and not on the sidelines watching all these other people, you know, have success. Um, she met Dave Stewart of the Rhythmics, of course, in Paris, and he wanted to help her get a band together for a solo record, but the demos didn't turn out well. So she spir spiraled even further into depression. While Clem was on the road with the Eurythmics, Kathy went to a party at Mike Chapman's house and blacked out and ended up in bed with him. She, of course, he was a producer and she always admired him and wanted to work with him. So also Clem was aware of her excesses as a drinker and Mike, of course, didn't care about them. So, you know, as an alcoholic, it was easier for Kathy to have a relationship with Mike Chapman than Clem. And so she broke up with Clem, who was a true blue guy, which is very sad, and uh, formed a band mm. with somebody named Kelly Johnson, who was a lead guitar player with the band Girls School, which was a, a UK punk band. Um, so they fronted a band and, um, you know, she had this attitude like, I'm gonna get big and I wanna show them all. But her drinking and drugging kind of got in the way. Um, the band was good, but um, she was afflicted, as she said, by high expectations after the Go-Go's. They called the band the world's cutest killers, which I don't think helped them become popular because it was kind of a weird band name, the world's cutest killers. Um, they, but they did get good reviews Agreed. in the LA Times, and um, I thought we could play... Uh, a live song I found uh, by the world's cutest killers called Chinese Whispers, and it's on, uh, you can find it on YouTube if you want to. So we're going to listen to Chinese Whispers now. <laughs> Thank you. 
um, I, first of all, it's a it's a really horrible recording. It's uh, obviously a, an audience member's um, uh, recording. It's not a board uh, uh, or any kind of decent uh, audio. So sorry about that. Uh, I I kind of hear you know mm-hmm. what could have been a yeah. go-go song. It was like I mean they like I said uh, their fans like them you know they got good reviews in the la times it was obviously they had great musicians in the band but what happened was mm. mike mm. chapman who seduced her in order to produce her or whatever fobbed the producing onto somebody else and when he listened to the demos he passed on signing them he told her she was no lead singer which may be true i mean you can't hear it in that it's possible that she I think she developed her lead singing chops later in her career. But um, then uh, Mike Chapman broke up with her. So it was like insult to injury. Um, And she realized it had been a mistake to break up with Clem. And he took her back and even bought a house for them to live together in. Uh, The world's cutest killers reformed to become the renegades, but the special sauce wasn't there. So... She felt bad because, yeah. you know, it was three years after they broke up. Um, she was having financial problems. She was, you know, addicted to alcohol. And she met uh, our friend Michael DeBar, who is uh, Pamela DeBar's ex-husband. Yeah. At a party. <laughs> Ex. And he told yeah. her about mm-hmm. his own sobriety and how she might benefit from AA and planted the seed. Um, She knew that her alcohol uh, drinking was a problem, Mm -hmm. but she also knew abstinence wasn't for her, (laughs) like all alcoholics do. And when she met up with Carlene later that year, she was sober too. And Kathy was like, oh, she's going to be all different. She's not going to have, you know, her same personality. But sure enough, she met Carlene and Carlene was just as bubbly and happy as ever and suggested that Kathy go to AA too. But Kathy was not quite ready. She had just turned 30. She had no band, no new songs, and no work, and had plowed through her money. And her worst fear was maybe she had no talent either. She was fearful and sad. Um, And at that time, she had her second and last blackout in New York at a club with Clem. And that was finally her bottom. So it was kind of like she had had two blackouts, and they really scared her. She desperately wanted something to change. And if she stopped drinking, at least, at least one thing would be different. So she just decided at that time that she wasn't going to drink anymore. And she talks about how, you know, people have bottoms uh, and you think, oh, they're, you know, let, I killed somebody in a car accident or, you know, like, they're really dramatic bottoms. But for Kathy's, hers was just that she woke up one day and went, I'm not doing this anymore. Um, and she went for cold, cold turkey for a few days until she got back to L.A. and went to her first meeting, which uh, Carlene was at, <laughs> and which she attended every day for a year. And eventually, which I think is really a neat part of the story, she called Charlotte, of course, who had been sober for five years. And they only talked about their sobriety and about their programs. And Kathy finally saw that Charlotte left the Go-Go's to save her life. So it wasn't as painful. You know, it's like she thought Charlotte left the go-go's because she didn't like her anymore. She didn't like being with her. She didn't like playing with her anymore. And Charlotte had understood that she couldn't live that life while she was being sober. 
while she was trying to maintain her sobriety. And also uh, during that time, Belinda had called her once to apologize and said, it wasn't because of you I left. I'm sorry we did it the way we did. So this was, these were two things that happened that helped the Go-Go's kind of reconnect with each other and, you know, not be, yeah, as people and not as enemies. As people, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so after mm. Kathy's reunion with, reunion with Charlotte, Belinda called them all to ask if they would sing back up on one of her songs. And that's the way they tentatively tested the waters and had to find out how to be with each other again. And in 1990, they played their first gig together as, quote, Clam, K-L-A-M-M. This was a secret show at the Whiskey um, where they didn't appear as the Go-Go's, where they could kind of dip their toes in the water and see what it was like to play with each other again. And then they did a reunion concert for Jane Fonda's benefit to raise money for the California Environmental Protection Initiative. So it took the pressure off everyone's expectations. Their first gig together, first two gigs together were either under a pseudonym or to play a benefit concert and not as like the Go-Go's are getting back together again. So it was a little less, less pressure than, um, than it could have been. She said, running on stage with the Go-Go's felt like the most natural thing in the world. The joy was overwhelming. A whole new way of being a Go-Go opened up for me. Because she didn't have expectations. Her sobriety was the most important thing. And they, you know, found a way to be with each other without having it be the center of Kathy's universe, um, which is a good thing. And so a few months later, IRS planned to release a greatest hits record, but they didn't have enough hits <laughs> to do a whole album. So they just called it Greatest. And they recorded a new modern version of one of their old songs that they used to cover, which was Cool Jerk. So I thought we could listen to Cool Jerk right now, which is a great song. And we haven't heard any. We haven't heard any covers by the it is a great so song. far. So, no, yeah, yeah. So uh, I don't remind know. me who wrote. Let's cool find Jerk. out. Well, let's find it. Well, we'll let the, everybody listen okay. while we figure right. the mystery out. Here's Cool Jerk. Ba 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 ba. Cool Jerk. Of course, we found all the information. Thank you very much. The Googles. Uh, yeah, Cool Jerk was uh, originally written by Donald Storball. It's a 1966 release by the Capitals. Interesting that the uh, Funk Brothers, the Motown House Band, secretly 
uh, was the the backing band uh, for the song. So it's no surprise that it's a fucking great song. And by the way, the original, the Capitals version, is a pretty yeah. cool uh, uh, version in its own right. And uh, yeah. not too dissimilar. Why, why did they, I wonder why the Funk Brothers had to do that secretly. Because not on the right label. Probably out of the uh, yeah, eyes right. and ears of Barry Gordy, uh, I would suspect. So, yeah. Yeah, because right. it was—it was—it's not a Motown release. So, um, you know, this is uh, kind of—we're getting to the end of the book, even though we're in only in 1990. Um, Kathy talks more about her uh, program and her, you know, sobriety. One of the amends she makes, which you need to make uh, in the 12 steps, uh, part of making uh, doing the 12 steps is making amends. She made amends to June and Johnny Cash. And paid them back for renting the suite for her and Carlene back in the day when they needed. <laughs> and John wrote her back a lovely letter, which is uh, she treasures now. John was quite quite a gentleman and very gracious. Yes. Oh, we all know that. Yeah, the man in black was yes. a stand-up um, she, gentleman. She did a lot of therapy, which helped her to heal her childhood and her relationship with her mother, who finally got sober herself. She, yeah, she gave Kathy her blessing oh, wow, on describing good. her truthfully in the book. And, of course, now they have a much better relationship. Um, and she broke up with Clem, but they remain very close friends and musical cohorts. So uh, Clem has drummed on many of Kathy's uh, creations uh, after this book ends. Um, and the Go-Go's, as she said, are like sisters. And now she can hold the dichotomies that come with family and know they will always be joined together. And that's the end of the book. But I thought that we could uh, update our audience on some of the things that happened to Kathy and the Go-Go's. Uh-huh. So wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Whoa, 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 whoa. Slow down. So you're seeing the book yep. ends in 1990? There's no... Like, I know. Uh, Maybe she's gonna do ago. a Chrissy Hind, and you know how so Chrissy's not... book ended with uh, Volume the, Two, Tenders um, breaking up. I think the first time. Yeah, and yeah. Oh, oh no, it ends with uh, yeah. Honeyman Scott's death. You know, the death of the two. Um, oh, death. And you kind yeah, of yeah. like go, oh well, then what happened? Um, yeah. Well. Because because a lot I, I like okay so the 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 Go Go's get back together I think they they have a album in what uh, like two thousand if I remember. they have an album uh, in two thousand one uh, uh, God bless yeah 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 uh, two thousand one God bless the Go Go's right uh, and so they and they and they have you know broken up and gotten back together several times I know in two thousand twelve you know we were talking about the karma uh, where um, uh, you know. Uh, uh, original basis, uh, Margot uh, uh, Olivaria, uh, you know, had hepatitis A, had to 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 step away uh, to recover, and Kathy came in and, and took the position. I think in 2012, Kathy had a injury uh, uh, or something, and she couldn't go on the tour, and so they replaced her. And then there right. was a lawsuit and all that other stuff. And of course, that's yeah. now gone, and that was all worked out. And uh, you know, and now they're they're back yeah. together, and um, uh, and yeah. uh, as they should be, you know. And it's it's one of those things, you know. Uh, it's so funny. I've had this discussion many times, uh, and that is, you know, today 
it's not uncommon for a band to like go, oh, okay, well, okay, we have a band and we do our thing and then we go on hiatus right, and we right. do our own thing. That makes sense, right? Years I mean, and we, we, we do our thing. Yeah, well, and I never understand, why, like, why didn't anybody yeah. <laughs> figure that out like 50 years ago? You don't have that, to break uh, up. You, know, you, you can, can do that. Just... You can go and, yeah, yeah. It's weird how it's, and it's the machine, and mm. the machine said no, you you can't do that until somebody said fuck you. We're, we're powerful enough, like to Bruce do that. Springsteen uh, and, and, and um, Tom Petty, and yeah. yeah, 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 Bruce Springsteen, yeah, did that, and yeah, where they would go and do their solo stuff, and then they'd bring their uh, you know their backing band, the E Street and the Heartbreakers, to, specifically to come back. So there's no reason why the the, the Go Go's couldn't have done that. But uh, anyway, uh, you know, the reality is is that. Um, uh, you know, they are on a bit of a rock and roll hall of fame tour, uh, you know, to get inducted into, <laughs> uh, into the hall. They deserve to be in the hall. It's surprising that they're not in the hall. I, I, you know, they're, they're, they're highly influential. Uh, they changed the game by being the, uh, the to, to this day, the only all female rock band to ever uh, have a number one album. And, you know, the chance of that ever hey. happening again are, you know, slim to none at this point. So, well, it's just rock and roll itself is just yeah. not in the in the zeitgeist to, you know, get into the top 40. Although, I don't know if you've heard, uh, now this isn't an album, this is a single, but uh, uh, In the Air Tonight is uh, in the top 10 of uh, the Billboard uh, Top 200 because uh, these two uh, young twins oh, uh, I did love a reaction them. video oh, on YouTube. God, I love uh, them. Listening to it. And, uh, and, and so, you know, it's funny how the, that old music that, oh my God. you know, we cherish, uh, you know, just, again, it just shows that, that, you know, that this music, this rock and roll period, this late 20th century um, was mm -hmm. really, really unusual yeah. for, for musicians uh, to be, you know, it, it, you know, in, it, what, what we call a rock star, you know, the this this world of the elite, uh, the cultural elite. Um, and I right, just don't think that that's the case anymore. And I it's probably not ever going yeah. to happen again, or at least for a, a long period of time. Uh, hopefully I'm wrong, well, I, but, uh, but, but we'll oh, see. Oh, I wanted to make so, a, uh, a plug for uh, Twins it, the New Trend on YouTube, people. Oh, yeah, Twins the New Trend. Yeah, Twins, on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. They, are, they react to Ella Fitzgerald and Jimi Hendrix and, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, it's so great. I yeah, love all it. kinds yeah. of stuff, yeah. Lots of fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so um, uh, it's good that uh, she, you know, came out with her um, autobiography this year. Uh, that the the Go Go's have this documentary. Yeah, it's a good documentary. A lot of great press out there. They're having a moment again, and uh, they do. And they Let's also got a cool new song. Uh, they now, huh? in uh, on July thirty first, twenty twenty, which was just a couple of weeks ago, they released their first new song in nineteen years, Club Zero. Which is fe featured in the documentary. Yeah, it ends the it ends with the credits, of course. Uh, so yeah, let's uh, let's listen to Club Zero.
So, um, yeah, yeah uh, first of yeah, all, like that that's a cool song. It's mm-hmm. it's a pretty, pretty fucking good song. Uh, you know, I, I, I think if, you know, this was released back in the day, it'd be a giant hit uh, and all that. Um, you know, uh, I, I'm not sure it fits the, the zeitgeist, uh, but um, hopefully yeah, who knows? We'll, I, we'll see where that where the song goes. But uh, yeah, it is definitely um, a well I just wanted to song. say one thing about, um, you know, like having read now several memoirs of um, musicians who have had addiction problems like Etta James and well, uh, Jim Morrison's wasn't a memoir, but it's interesting to look at, you know, look back at different people's stories of addiction and music and how, um, for example, Etta James and Kathy Valentine both wrote their books, you know, after they had become sober, because that's when you can have the honesty and reflection to actually write and uh, a biography, you know, that, that tells the truth. Because when you're an addict, you can't tell the truth. That's one thing we know about addicts. And Well, you're, you're secret. You're, you're living a secret life uh, constantly. And so, uh, and of course, what that means right. is there's a lot right. of fucking lies. Uh, and, uh, you know, now, now, right. now you're that going to expose happen. yourself. No. Yeah, that's not So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, it was a very readable book. I, um, I follow her now on Instagram and Twitter. She's a, a great person who's all for, you know, progressive cl- uh, causes. She has a teenage daughter and she's, you know, she's just playing music. Uh, she's been playing music since the, the Go-Go's broke up and uh, she hasn't stopped and she's still a guitar slinger. And, um, you know, one of my dreams is to be, be in an all-girl band, too. So maybe I'll, it'll be an all-old ladies band by the time I do it. But, you know, that's all right, right? <laughs> if, if, we're, if we're ever allowed to uh, I know. have I know. bands so again. Sad. Uh, oh. And, um, yeah. You know. So, mm-hmm. anyway, yeah, check out the book. I yeah. did. Yeah. It was, yeah. So you liked the book. It was, it was, uh, yeah. Uh, well, have we ever done a book that you haven't liked? I guess Iron Maiden yeah. is probably the closest. Graphic no, the novel. Metallica uh, well, uh, and the graphic Jim, novel. The Jim Morrison the book, I would say. Nah, he wasn't my favorite subject. And I also, you know, it was a little bit too, yeah. Um, yeah. too, I don't know, like fictional for me, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Well, uh, I'm glad uh, we got a little more go goes going on here. Uh, uh, you know, like I said, uh, you know, Goldmine uh, Pat Prince did uh, interview Kathy on her yes. book. Make sure uh, you go and listen to that. Uh, and uh, Pleasant um, uh, uh, from Devil's Music uh, interviewed Belinda on her first uh, episode. And I and I have to say that the only reason Pleasant is on the network is because I was invited to go and see Mm -hmm. Jane Weedland speak. Uh, You know, I got to give it up to uh, Jenners from Mixtape Memories, who invited me to um, uh, this this discussion. Um, And, uh, you know, on the panel (laughs) was pleasant. And the funny thing is, is that at at the end, I was Mm -hmm. like, who the hell is that? Because I want to know her. Uh, And I never got to meet Jane (laughs) Weedland because of that. 
Jane was gone by the time I right. was finished uh, talking to to Pleasant. Uh, but uh, I love all those girls. I, I I think that they did a fantastic job. I loved them at the time. I love them today, uh, and uh, I really do cross my fingers and hope that they uh, make it into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in uh, the mm-hmm. class of uh, 2021 so uh, here. All right, you know all what? right. So what's know. up next? So. No, so if anybody, uh, you if don't any of know. my fans out there have suggestions for me, I'm happy to hear them. Uh, let's see. They and where can, can they find, find me on you? Twitter? I believe it's at Sorensen Shelley. That would probably be the best way. Is that so? Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, let's head off uh, to the sunset yeah. here, where it's literally sunset here in the West Coast, and. Why don't we leave everybody do. with one um, last song? It's uh, a song that Kathy wrote, uh, co-wrote uh, in 1994 when they got back together briefly. And you can find the song on Return to the Valley of the Go-Go's. Of course, nobody buys albums anymore, so I don't know why I'm saying that. And this song became the band's highest charting <laughs> UK single. It's called The Whole World Lost Its Head. All right. Then uh, we will... Yep. Uh, catch you on the flip side as they say and uh look forward to our next session of the rock and roll librarian and with that we're out of here everybody have a good time try to enjoy your try to enjoy your (laughs) pandemic as best as possible uh maybe next time it won't be a quarantine edition or maybe it will we don't know uh we'll leave you with the whole world lost its head Rock and Roll Librarian, produced and hosted by Christian Swain. Co-host, Shelley Sorensen. All sound design and incidental music by Jerry Danielson. All quotes performed by actors unless noted. Find all of our shows, notes, social, and links at www.pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts. All songs can be found for purchase on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Please purchase these great and important tracks. Find us on Facebook at the RNRAP. We are on Instagram at RNR Archaeology. Tweet us at RNR Archaeology.